Our clients are certainly at a varying stages of dealing with this. They're all in a position where they're looking at how they onboard new error hires. And we can call that millennials. We can think about it as retrainees, people from different areas or different skill sets that are moving into technology or maybe moving from distributed or some other area into mainframe. There is actually some data that is displaying that the needle is being moved, that we are addressing that kind of impending shortage and, you know, this Hi, and welcome to another Conversations with Des. I'm your host, Des Blanchfield, and today I have the privilege of being joined in the studio by two amazing guests from Broadcom, from Broadcom's mainframe division, and we'll get into that in a little more. We're going to have a great conversation about what's happening uh, in the space of what we're terming a skills crisis uh, in the whole industry of big iron. And again, we'll get into that in a little more detail. But first, let me welcome Greg Lotko. Now, Greg is the General Manager and Senior Vice President of the Mainframe Division at Broadcom. Greg, welcome to the show again. Hey, pleasure to be here, Des. Thanks for making time to join us. And we have the lovely Sai Guja. Now, Sai is the Engineering Lead Supervisor for the Mainframe Security and Compliance space in Broadcom. Sai, welcome to the show. Great to have you with us. Thank you for having me, Des. It's my pleasure. Now, Sai, I was talking to you earlier before we hit record, <clears throat> and uh, we are kindred souls in that uh, you mentioned you're from Hyderabad in India, one of my favorite places in the world. And uh, But the moment you're in Chicago, where you said it's raining and you're experiencing a long winter, and uh, Australia's just hit winter. We don't really have a proper winter, but it's, uh, it's a couple of degrees cooler, and everyone's running around in jackets and scarves on, which makes me laugh because... Uh, talking to some friends in Europe yesterday, and when I told them the temperature, they just they mocked me because that's their summer <laughs> temperature. Um, are you having a great long winter? We had. It just started to uh, warm up now, but then the rain hit us. So, yep, it's just been a long, long sunless weather. My better half likes that because it uh, means that we can play with fashion and buy more gear to wear around the place. And, Greg, uh, yourself, where are you dialed in from today, mate? I'm actually sitting in Islandia in New York, and unfortunately, it's raining here as well. But, you know, the first day for summer of us, for us is on Friday, and I'm, I'm here, and it's going to be a gorgeous weekend. So we'll kick it off right. Awesome. Can't wait. One of my favorite parts of the world, uh, New York City. We were there for Christmas, and uh, I'd never seen the city empty in Manhattan Island. And our taxi driver about two or three days before New Year's Eve said to us, you know, if you're here for, sit for the Christmas break, you're going to have this amazing experience where on Christmas Eve, everyone leaves, they go home, they go back to wherever they're from. You'll have the city to self. I was like, there's no way Manhattan Island's going to be empty. I get up at four in the morning with my video camera and, and, and walk around the streets to take some pictures as the sun comes up. And I kid you not, I've got photos and video footage of the whole place empty. There's like half a dozen taxis moving. There's whole shots where I've got just nobody on the street. It was the most surreal experience ever. But I don't think I've ever been to New York when it doesn't rain, um, even on the warmest days. Now, we're going to have a chat about a couple of really interesting things that you've been doing lately, but just to uh, give our audience a, a little heads up, we're going to talk about this whole topic of a skills crisis. We're going to figure out, is it actually a real crisis? Is it something that's been uh, manufactured, engineered, or where we just, uh, do we take our eyes off the ball? But essentially, we're going to talk about what Broadcom is doing in this space to uh, re-engage and rebuild and redevelop capabilities and skills for the future in the mainframe space. And we're going to talk about something called the ASC program, which uh, I'll get Greg to uh, introduce in a minute. Uh, and this is something exciting that uh, Broadcom has been developing in their mainframe division to uh, run something that's called a Vitality Residency, which uh, Sai has joined us to uh, talk about uh, in a moment. 
so, Greg, maybe if I throw to you and just get you to give us a bit of a heads up on kind of what we're going to cover today on those key topics, but also maybe just a little background on, on what you've seen so far, um, how you became aware of this, and uh, I guess, you know, the general structure of where this concept came about, and we can sort of dive into that. When we, when we think about this whole topic of skills and capability and experience to, to drive this big uh, iron and, and, and the platforms and the systems on them, we do hear this term of skills crisis. What I'm curious about is, is it actually a crisis? Is it still a crisis? And, and what's, what's brought this about and what are we doing about it? Yeah, so I think, uh, I think there's real crises and then there's those that are in our minds. But the, the reality is perception is reality, right? So we, we absolutely have to address it. I, you know, one of the things I'd tell you is I, I almost find it comical at this point when people talk about the, the graying or the aging of mainframers as, as if this is a bigger issue than in any other space in the world. I mean, the last time I checked, I think time passes the same for each of us. We all get older every day. <laughs> Don't remind and, me. And I, you know, yeah. And I, you know, the thing I would argue is based on the resiliency, the stability, the reliability of the platform, I think mainframers sleep better at night than all of those other people across all the other platforms. I would posit to you that we actually age slower as a result because we have less stress in our lives. But I, I agree but, with you. You know, look, seriously, um, you know, as any skill set or folk, folks, you know, set of individuals in an area ages and retires, you need to develop folks to replace them. Right. And uh, I, I think there's some some facts out there that that display from from studies being done that that we're making progress on that. Uh, it doesn't mean that we need we should take our eye off the ball. There's. There's things we have to do to to help our our customers, our partners, even our own organizations develop skills. And everybody learns differently. Everybody, uh, you know, has a different way that they'd approach it. So, you know, I'll kind of talk you through four areas. Uh, I want to talk about what we're doing in the in the product space to make it easier for people to develop skills. Talk about the own, you know, the, the our own education program and the types of things that we're doing individually, and that's the ASC program that you referenced, and and Cy is a is a graduate of that and somebody who's been very successful in our business. The Vitality Residency is kind of, you know, what are we doing to bring that to our customers? That's the third thing, and then the last thing, you know, I'll talk a bit about kind of the uh, the online education for for mainframe. So I think about it in those four areas and. And I think uh, some individuals will probably take advantage of each of the components and others will take advantage of maybe one or two. But it's all about getting uh, getting the right education to the right people and helping them build their skills. Uh, absolutely. And I agree entirely with you. The data does show I, I did a couple of days with the research prior to this uh, episode uh, and, and the privilege to chat to the both of you. And. Uh, there's no question that uh, I mean, you know, we Australia is actually on, on. I think it's like the top three to five countries in the world that's got an aging population. Follow, uh, following Japan, I think is is the highest, where we've got an aging population, and, and there's a whole range of socioeconomic reasons for that. But organisations have, uh, when I looked at this thing, like five core generational gaps of sort of the the boomers and the Gen Xs and the Gen Ys and then slash millennials and then the Gen Zs. And so I think you're absolutely bang on the money there that it's not just exclusively in the mainframe space. It's not even just in the big system space. It's across the board that we have this rolling need to, to pass on uh, tribal knowledge, uh, experience, uh, particularly in big heavy industry and engineering. And uh, I would say that we've had some big distractions, whether it's you know, the, the financial crises or 
uh, global uh, you know, distractions and various things in, in political space. We're now learning that we maybe drop the ball a little bit globally, not just uh, one particular industry, and, and everyone's not so much in catch-up mode, but just in refresh mode. Um, what are you seeing out there in the industry as far as your clients are concerned? I mean, uh, this, as you said, this is not a unique thing to mainframe, but as far as the industries go, are there particular industry segments that are hurting more than others? Or what's your general sense of what you're learning from, from working with your clients around this whole topic of getting the right skills and, 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 and maintaining and, and developing those skills? Yeah, I don't think it's more or less uh, prevalent in a in a particular industry, but I'll, I'll you know I'll talk about it relative to clearly what we're focused on is mainframe skills, and and our our clients are certainly at a at a varying stages of dealing with this, but they're they're all in a position where they're they're looking at how they onboard kind of new era hires, and we can call that. Uh, millennials, we can think about it as retrainees or or people from different areas or different skill sets that are moving into technology or maybe moving from distributed or or some other area into mainframe. And you know, the first thing I I mentioned and that I wanted to talk about is that there there is actually some data that is displaying that the needle is being moved, that we are addressing that kind of impending shortage. And, you know, to, to cite one of the areas we looked at, some of the data that's being tracked by the Arcadi mainframe yearbook. And they do an annual survey on the, uh, the mainframe market. You know, for, for those that are kind of unfamiliar with that, that yearbook, it's been going on for a number of years now. It's an independent annual guide for users of IBM mainframe systems. And it includes things like the current players in the mainframe space, user surveys, gives you a terminology guide, you know, things like that, right? And so they ask in that annual survey um, have you ex- to customers, have you experienced difficulty obtaining or retaining the necessary skills? And, and back in 2016, 52% of those that were surveyed said, yeah, we're, we're having a problem with that. But if you move forward a couple of years and you look in 2018, only 40% of the folks surveyed said, hey, this is an issue, which really is a significant reduction, right? And really showcases that we're making a dent. It doesn't say that, you know, nobody's having any issue or there aren't things that you you need to to continue to do, but it really does, does say that, you know, more than half of the organizations um, that are seeing these issues are really starting to make a dent on it. So we're making progress, right? We still have some barriers to deal with, whether they be culturally or getting people the right access to the right training. But, you know, business leaders across our across the ecosystem, our partners, our customers, folks like myself, you know, the vendors in the space have to lead the charge within our own organizations, as well as working across the aisles with everybody else to help our clients. And I imagine there's there's been some natural shifts that we've just had to adapt with as well. I think, you know, it's a, it's a fairly disingenuous comment I hear from people around the space that, you know, no one wants these jobs or people don't want these skills or who wants to do work on a mainframe? And I'm like, are you kidding me? Um, it's one of the most uh, exciting and, and rapidly uh, uh, transforming platforms on the planet. And, you know, I hear uh, younger developers coming out of college saying, you know, I want to write this and that. I want to work on Python. I want to do Ruby and Rails. I want to do R or whatever. I want to be a data scientist. I want to work on cloud. And I sort of look and think, well, that doesn't exclude particular platforms. doesn't exclude particular technologies. And I do this thing where I do a monthly uh, briefing and, and, and 
catch up with a, a group of university students here in Australia and I do it in different regions and we talk about this whole idea of don't come out of uni thinking there's a job that you're going to just walk into. You need to try and develop skill sets where you can do any number of jobs and you can essentially digitally transform yourself, reinvent yourself regularly because at the yeah. grand old age of 51, I've had more jobs and contracts and started more companies I can poke a stick at. And it fascinates people. They're like, oh, didn't you just get a job and stick at it for 40 years or 30 years? That aged me quickly. Um, and, you know, one of the things I say to them is, well, don't come out of this thinking you're going to become a data scientist writing, uh, you know, Python on, on, and Jupyter Notebooks and do that for the next 40 years. That, that might get you through the first 18 months. What then, you know? And so I think what we've seen here is that, you know, there's been a a shift from you know, one platform to another with, with different technology trends. There's been uh, design models that people have aimed to. You know, talking to the telco space now, all the telecoms industry to prepare for 5G is, you know, transforming into cloud operators. They use software-defined infrastructure, software-defined networking. Uh, you know, they don't plug in RJ45s. Everything's network function virtualization. And so a lot of the developers they get are focused on that area, but they, they, you know, some of their developers have never seen a router, a switch, or a server, and so we take them into mainframe centers or into data centers and show them. And I think you know, this is one of the big trends that I've seen where people haven't necessarily seen a physical mainframe, and so it's hard for them to conceptualize it, whereas once upon a time that was the platform. Um, I, I know when I caught up with uh, one of your associates, uh, CJ Solomon, a while back, and you know, the, the idea of open source being on a mainframe was... Um, yep. a, a weird concept, right? Whereas now it's it's a, a default go-to. And, you know, uh, it's like someone said to me the other day uh, that it's like the biggest Linux box on the planet. So I think these trends just come and go. And I'd love to get your thoughts, <clears throat> excuse me, on this as to, you know, is it really the case, uh, as I, I suspect, that some of these are just natural progressions and shifts and trends and, and design models that people go through and that over time, you know, everything old is new again. We're circling back realizing that we might have, taken our eyes off the ball a little bit and that uh, we just need to fill the gap again. Yeah, so there's there's absolutely still a huge and strong uh, space in the industry where mainframes absolutely have value, whether it be around their throughput or their their speed, their resiliency, whatever. And, uh, you know, the, the need actually hasn't gone away or even the usage as much as people's awareness in the front of their consciousness that this stuff is being done in the world. I mean, still to this day, it, it's something like 70% of all the world's data is being processed through mainframes. And actually, one of the other things you mentioned, you know, you said people have this perception that nobody wants the jobs in this space. Now, our, our transfer of trade going from CA to Broadcom just happened on November 5th of 2018. And, and here we are sitting recording this about six months later, it's in June. We have posted uh, since transfer more than 300 positions to join our team. I mean, we will be growing this team uh, triple digits easily this year. And I gotta tell you, Des, we're, we're up close to now 3,000 unique applicants from around the world to those positions. So to say nobody wants these jobs in this space, nothing could be further from the truth. Yeah, in fact, the interesting thing, I, I had the privilege of being at um, <clears throat> Poughkeepsie not so long ago, and uh, having been there a few times, of course, uh, you know, there was a point where I looked around, mm, there's a bunch of gray hairs here. Uh, I think it would be 80% or more of the folk running around that place, uh, and it's an enormous space, as you know, um, mm -hmm. made me feel old. Like they were, you know, uh, not quite young enough to be my kids, but they were, I looked around and was like, I feel like I'm on a university campus. And uh, I came away very excited, and then we sort of went off to the, the big think event. 
and uh, I kept saying to people, I'm blown away by just the the vibe um, that you know there's, and we and we had a podcast with some of the the new entrants into the space, and you know they they wanted to be hardware hackers, they want to be code hackers, they want to be engineers, they they wanted to. Uh, you know, grind down to the chip levels. Like this is so awesome that we've got this whole space where, you know, there's there's this supposed assumption that that's not cool and sexy anymore, and yet it's not. It's exactly the opposite. I think people will circle back and realize there's some exciting things to be done in there. So absolutely. So with that in mind, I mean, I'd, I'd love to talk about uh, a couple of things. Firstly, with all this in mind, and you've you've discovered this, and, and you've got your finger on the pulse, you've realized this is taking place, and you're ahead of the game with it. Tell us a bit more about what you're doing in this space. Uh, you know, how did this come about to to both be a realization and a challenge to sort of tackle? Uh, and then tell us a bit more about what you're doing to sort of address this whole skills challenge space that exists and 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 how we got to where we are today with what you're calling the uh, both the ASE program and then the supporting uh, vitality resilience. How did this come about and what brought it about? Uh, sure. What what are the big things you're doing about it? Yeah, sure. I mean, look, the the realization of needing to address it comes both from staffing our own teams as we have the engineering teams that are developing the products. And it also comes from clients saying, hey, they need they need help in uh, addressing this. So, you know, first is realizing that uh, one of the ways you can address this is make it easier to interact with the platform, make it easier to use tools that you're familiar with. Uh, broadly in the ecosystem, they don't have to necessarily be mainframe specific um, to help people interact with the platform more easily. So that you know, this is about the product perspective. Right. So we can take the products that are focused on mainframe and do improvements and enhancements around the user experience. Use machine learning and AI to to make those that are less experienced on the platform more productive earlier in their life. And we've got a bunch of products in this space, whether it, be operational intelligence, uh, data content discovery, mainframe resource intelligence, you know, launching tools that help people be more effective and efficient with the platform. But you can also, in the product space, if you think about it, work in the industry ecosystem to advance projects like Zoe, which brings open source connectivity through open APIs to the platform so that those that know those open source tools can use them in their interaction with the mainframe. So they're using things that they're more familiar with. And we're working closely with the broader open source ecosystem to drive more education and enablement on the the code base uh, and having it interact. Um, And we have also expanded realizing that the large enterprises in the world, they're not going to drive these technologies, these open source capabilities into their environments unless they can get full stack enterprise level support. So we launched an offering to support all the components that were contributed there, whether they came from Broadcom or whether they came from the two other initial partners that we launched this with, uh, both Rocket and IBM, we're supporting the full stack, even the stuff that that came not from us. You know, we, we absolutely strongly believe in these initiatives. These new mainframers, they're absolutely hungry for the knowledge. So that that first thing is really about the products. And then I think the next one would be thinking about how you educate people on the environment. And that's the ASC program that you, you referenced. Yeah. We have an associate software engineer program. It's it's just our own naming and our and our, our own branding. It's our core program that we use to train 
those that are coming new to our our team as new mainframers. And we've been doing this for for a decade. It's been been more than 10 years. There's probably probably about 200 people in the last decade that have gone through the program in the in the US. And we also actually run the program in in Europe through our our Prague offices and we probably run about a, a dozen people each quarter through that through four classes. Um, this year we're expanding because of all that hiring that we're doing that I referenced. Um, we'll probably have uh, probably have a few about a few dozen students in our spring summer class in in Pittsburgh and we're planning on actually adding a, a semester a fall winter session in in Plano and that really has to do with a lot of that significant hiring that we've been doing. Um, and, you know, you mentioned that we have Sally Guja joining us. She's a grad of that program, right? She's one of our engineering leads that went through that core education and has been quite successful in her career. So, you know, I thought, you know, Des, maybe we can kind of open up to, to her and let her share her experiences. Absolutely. I was about to ask you if we could do just that, because, uh, Sai, you've been very patiently li- listening to a couple of us uh, waffle on a bit. Uh, Sai, maybe just um, if you can give us a bit of background on yourself and, and how you came to, to be in the space where you had an opportunity to, to join the Broadcom's uh, Associate Software Engineer Program, and, and maybe just a little bit of a, a run-through on, on how you got into it, uh, what the, the experience is like, and any highlights that you've gained from that? Yeah, sure. So as we talked about, I am originally from Hyderabad, India. So I grew up in a very close-knit uh, but a large family, an elder sister, mom, dad, but uh, lots of uh, cousins. Um, currently, I live uh, here in Chicago with my husband and our almost four-year-old boy who loves everything about space and uh, Margaret Hamilton's invention of software to land on space. So <laughs> that's just him. <laughs> so, I mean, my first experience with computer was uh, when I started in high, I mean, when I was in high school, and uh, the first language I used was uh, BASIC. I was just very excited about the whole concept of programming, but I really started liking and seriously started con- considering um, getting into technology when I started tearing down computers and uh, reassembling them. Uh, I used to help a lot of friends and family to uh, assemble the components to build desktop systems. So. I really thought I'd get it to the hardware side of the house, but due to the courses that were offered in the college of my choice, I chose to uh, go with computer science. So I did my bachelor's back in India and came to U.S. to pursue uh, my master's in uh, computer science at Northern Illinois University. So um, although Northern offered a mainframe curriculum, I chose to go with the distributed curriculum due to the fear um, I had um, for mainframe. So it was a fear of unknown, basically. Like uh, most of my friends, I had limited exposure and knowledge about mainframe to be able to make that decision on if I want to go that route or not. So I conveniently forgot about mainframe until I was in my last semester. And then um, CA, now Broadcom, approached me after a career fair regarding a role through the new program introduced that year. So after my first conversation, um, although the role was in the mainframe security area, I was convinced it would be a good fit as uh, because uh, my hiring manager at that time mentioned I would be working with LDAP, C, Java, and uh, that I'll be sent to a training in Plano to learn basics of mainframe. 
So that's how I became officially part of the first ASC class in 2009. Wow, I'm uh, very excited that you started on Basic. I I was I'm old enough to have uh, been back in the Commodore 64 in the Apple IIe days, and uh, <laughs> and and Greg, you can laugh at that, and I, I I'm happy for that. But uh, the interesting thing is, no, that... no, no. I look, I started on the Commodore PET, which was before that. So oh. I, I, I... <laughs> <laughs> that is hilarious. One of my one of my very first companies was when I was 14, and, and a friend's dad bought a bunch of Commodore PETs to put in his real estate uh, agency company. And they had them for a year, and they didn't know what to do with them. So he paid me uh, to start a company at the age of 14, believe it or not, that was possible in New Zealand, uh, to write a database system for them to list all their, their platforms. So I love the pet, but I just couldn't stand the keyboard. But, Sai, I did love the idea that you had uh, when you said you were starting out writing basic, and then you mentioned you're pulling computers apart. To me, like, I actually think this is a, a thing that we've lost, that you know, there are so many people getting into technology, so many people are either developers or engineers, and they've never ever pulled a computer apart because at college or university or high school or wherever they might have started, they're not allowed to pull a computer apart because it voids warranties and, and you know, the teachers throw their arms in the air and go, no, don't do any of that with a screwdriver. Um, but I think it's one of the ways that, you know, it's probably the best way to understand how something ticks is to pull it apart, right? That must have given you a really different, unique sense to when you got to the point of doing a degree and studying and whatnot that you really understood the technology, you understood what made it tick and then you could actually code stuff to, to control this thing. Um, I was interested in your comment about the, the mainframe, a piece of it. What, what flipped your switch? I mean, give us a bit more uh, insight into kind of what was the defining moment for you when you sort of decided, you know, I'm going to get back into this and have another look at it? Yeah. So, uh, like I mentioned, when I joined the ASC class, we were sent to Plano for the training. And then um, it was the first time uh, when I took my assembler class in Plano was when my love for the low-level details reignited. So the program itself was a fun boot camp. I mean, we had classes and assignments that followed the classes, um, and which were all high-level basics of the mainframe. So as I got more into the details, uh, working through the uh, low-level, it's that's when I was uh, totally into it, basically. So, and I had a bunch of uh, classmates with me. We were about 21 at that time in the class, the first class. And pretty much all of us had a similar goal, to learn as much as we can and rejoin our home teams and start making a difference. So having that uh, similar uh, mindset and similar age group with the same end goal, it just made it more fun and interesting. And there was this competitive spirit that kept us going for more. And it it was just because I loved uh, assembling stuff previously it, it was it, it just made me feel that okay this is something that I could do because it's almost similar like going into the details I mean having an abstract level Java, coding in Java I love coding in Java but having an abstract level but then going deeper into it actually gives a sense of satisfaction because you're knowing I mean you know what you're doing and actually changing the right content to make the difference or uh, see the yeah. changes. Yeah, there's a, it's, so, I mean, it's a big jump, isn't it? But once you do get to the point where you're actually coding at that low level, uh, as long as uh, you know what you're doing, it's, it's a game changer because uh, you have almost a more intimate relationship with what's going on inside the hardware as opposed to just writing uh, you know, a piece of code that gets compiled and you have to pray and hope that the compiler does the right thing with it um, and that you don't exactly. have to debug it, right? Um, exactly. So tell us yep. about the the entry point you had and sort of going about uh, getting into the ASC program because I'm fascinated by 
because I'm going to bring Greg back in a minute to sort of talk about the structure of the program. But when you got to that point, you're ready to, to, to go this route. What was that actual onboarding journey like for you? I mean, what were the key steps you went through? Like for folk who are listening and might even be thinking of, of either this particular program or something simpler, similar, mm-hmm. um, walk us through that sort of process where you're like, okay, I'm going to do this. What are the key steps you went through to actually join the program, get on board, and, and any of the highlights you, you derived from that? Yeah. So uh, the program, it, I mean, we, we started off with an interview. I mean, it started in the career fair. So that's when I got introduced to my hiring manager uh, um, at that time. And it started there. And then we went through the normal interview process. And then we went, uh, we were, we joined the team here at our home bases. And then for after a few days, we went to Plano for a few weeks to um, get trained on the basic skills. So at the training, it was, like I mentioned, it was more of a boot camp where we had classes and then we had assignments that followed the classes. So it was just not classes at the boot camp, but we also had much uh, more fun activities planned for our group. Okay, a fun fact here is we had a competition to coin a name for the program, and one of my classmates, Kevin, and I won the competition. The current name for the program, ASC program, aka Associate Software Engineer program, stemmed from that. Wow. Congratulations. That's awesome. No wonder you're the champion for it. (laughs) I hope you got a bonus for that. Hint, hint. (laughs) We had a gift card, so it was fun. It was fun uh, doing that little uh, exercise. Fantastic. yeah, and um, not just classes. I mean, ASE program was much more than just the basics or training you in the basics. As part of the program, we had mentors assigned to us when we rejoined our home teams. So personally, I had a technical and a business mentor to whom I would credit a lot of my success to. They were a tremendous help for me. So from someone who did not know mainframe or who was afraid of mainframe. I emerged from training with much more background and felt more equipped to do my job. I mean, the DAC training did not end in Plano. It continued further because of the mentorship program. So, uh, I mean, in fact, I think it continues every day, even now, because of the people around me. I mean, they're simply the best. So I have seen this program evolve each year with the feedback that uh, is taken from each class. So, for example, after the first class that we had or the session we had, we were asked for feedback, we gave the feedback, and we saw that was immediately included in the next class. So the next class could benefit from some of the gaps that we saw as the first class. So it's like it's leaving the technology or training aside, it actually came down to the people. I mean, I consider myself very fortunate for having been surrounded by the very best and the most helpful people, uh, because during the training, all our pa- all our questions were patiently answered, and we were given some practical problems to solve. However, um, the real training started when we came back to our home bases and started working with our teams, uh, because the concept of having mentors and buddies. And also the concept of, okay, you can learn from your mistakes. Uh, That was the best uh, uh, scenario for me because I was given small features to work on with clear acceptance criteria, aka business requirements. Uh, And I was let to figure it out through my experience, but uh, was offered help when needed. This approach helped me personally in becoming more confident of what I did because I was still independently working on it. 
Uh, yet the help was just a turn away if I needed. So that helped me gain more exposure. So I would say ASE program is a whole package. You have the people, you have the training, and you have the support to be successful. Well, I think your your career path is evidence of that. And, and when I look at your current role uh, as uh, engineering lead supervisor in mainframe security and compliance, uh, this is a very non-trivial job title. You're looking after some of the most critical and, and important parts of the platform. Uh, maybe give us a little bit of a, a quick summary on kind of once you came out of the program, uh, the, the key steps that sort of got to where you are now today. How did, you know, obviously you've gained a lot from doing the program and congratulations on being part of the, the naming process. That uh, That's an awesome anecdote. I love that. Uh, once you. you completed that, I mean, what were the natural steps to sort of where you are today? Um, you've obviously gained a lot of insight and, and experience and knowledge and hands-on. I'd love to sort of uh-huh. get just a quick 30-second summary of from then what happened. How did that sort of launch you into your current career? Yeah, sure. So I just celebrated my 10th anniversary. So in the 10 years I've been with Broadcom, I was in multiple roles. So I was associate, software senior, and then software architect, and now into the engineering management. I felt I was always in a new role every few years uh, that my efforts were recognized. So um, one of the best advices I received from one of my ASC mentors was uh, not to be limited to my job description, to be ready for the next challenge and not wait until you get it. So I've always followed that and passed it on. So as long as I was raising the bar, I was presented with opportunities and was able to build credibility over time. So I'll give you an example, give you some examples of some of the opportunities I was presented um, they included representing Broadcom at conferences such as Strata Hadoop, Share, uh, Grace Hopper, etc. So Strata Hadoop and the leadership uh, at Broadcom inspired me to pursue my second master's degree. So I'm currently pursuing a master's in business analytics at Georgia Tech. Um, Broadcom supports me to acquire these new skills, and I use these skills to lead data-driven engineering and continuous improvement. So I was also given opportunity to be a machine learning evangelist for mainframe to create the awareness uh, for all of the possible. So coming down to SHARE, I was given opportunity to be a project manager at, uh, officer at SHARE, project officer at SHARE, uh, gave few tech talks on mainframe compu- security and compliance, was panelist on multiple uh, panels, including a keynote panel for the topics on skills and challenges with bringing on new mainframers. I mean, I just love being part of SHARE because it gives me a new perspective of the mainframe world beyond what I have been in. So these are the kind of opportunities and support I love about Broadcom. I mean, it motivates me and it helps me pay it forward, be an advocate for mainframe and Broadcom. So, I mean, it was more of the opportunities that were presented to me and the motivation it provided uh, by recognizing what I have been doing. That's amazing. And congratulations, by the way. That's uh, that's a, an amazing milestone. And uh, I think that uh, listeners uh, are going to be incredibly inspired by your life story and your journey through the ASC program. Greg, I'd like to bring you back in if we can. The, you know, we talked earlier about this idea of something called the Vitality Residency. And uh, I'd love to delve into what that actually is and maybe give, get you to give us a 30,000-foot view of what it is, and then we can sort of dive into some of the detail. Sure. I, I mean, it's interesting. We've gone through a big transition, right, with Broadcom acquiring us. And you and I have spoken previously about 
a lot of the investment that we're getting. It's really afforded us a, a fabulous opportunity to invest across the division that I think is helping our, our customers, our partners, the ecosystem. And it, it has us asking ourselves a lot of questions that, you know, quite frankly, for a number of years uh, in the ecosystem, a lot of us in the mainframe space, we would have these thoughts or ideas and we're like, yeah, we're not going to even bother to ask about that because we probably won't get the investment. But this this acquisition and the investment that we're getting as, as a result through Broadcom really had us saying, well, wow, what if, what if we could do this? And as we were thinking about the challenges that our customers were having, you know, some of these customers, they know that they have somebody retiring, but their budgets are just so tight that they're not getting approved to hire somebody in advance of the retirement actually happening, which means there's no overlap. There's no opportunity for, for cross-training. And we, we reflected on ourselves, what we were doing to, to develop skills. And we said, you know, what if, what if we could do something to help customers with this? What if, what if we were to hire some individuals when the customer couldn't and we were to run them through side by side the ASC program with our hires and, you know, give them even the mentors like, like Cy talked about having in her career. And, and what if after going through that few month program, we said, Hey, you know, we'll deploy these people out to the customer for up to nine months. And what if we were to do that on our dime to make that investment as a partner in our customers after training people generally around the mainframe, but more specifically around the skill area or the product area that they were trying to solve. And then what if, what if we were to address what becomes the issue when you hire services people or contract them out from another company? If you decide at the end of an engagement that you want to hire them, you usually either have to pay services fees and arrears or you have to do a finder's fee. What if we said, no, we're not going to do that. We're going to make this investment as a partner and we're going to make this happen at zero cost, no fee, no charge, no clawback, nothing with that with uh, with Broadcom, and we're going to provide them free to those customers. Now, you got to realize that the people we're hiring to run through this program—I mean, they're people, they're individuals, they're they're sentient beings, right? They 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 are interviewing the customers and the companies that they would be working for as much as those customers are interviewing them. So it's got to be a two-way street. The people that we're hiring into this program, we're telling them, hey, look, this is our design point. We are hoping that we land you in a position at a, at a customer at the end of it. Um, the reality is if we don't land them, if for whatever reason there's not a match and that could be, you know, locale or whatever that they don't like, the reality is it's a win-win either way because we would be bringing people back into our business that have direct experience on the customer location and how their usage is going of the products. But, but let's stick on the nirvana that it actually works out, that we have a match, that they end up getting placed. Um, I've already said it's no cost. So there's only two things that we're really looking for customers to do as a result of being involved in this program. One they have to sign up up front that um, if successful, that they will talk about this externally. Um, and this could be through blogs. It could be talking at, at conferences. It could be, you know, an actual press release or whatever. It could, it could fit in many forms. Um, and the second is the idea that 
we want that experience to be driven back into our products. So um, they need to participate in design thinking workshops to drive that knowledge or that experience into the into the products. And the reaction we're getting from customers on this is fabulous. We've, we've already signed a few of these $0 contracts or, or statement of works with customers. And we're, we're at the point where we're starting this journey. You know, the idea obviously is that this will go public over the next year because they'll start talking about it. So watch this space, you'll hear about it. And then the, the reality is we also have about another dozen customers that are working with us uh, on this, that they're exploring the art of the possible. And about half of those are actually at the point where they're in their procurement departments and, and working through the T's and C's and getting it to the point of signature. So it's really exciting, right? I mean, we're, we're getting the ask these what if questions and then to really actually do something about, about it to make an impact in the ecosystem. It, it's probably one of the most exciting ideas I've heard for a long time in this space because you've effectively turned the entire problem of sourcing the right people with the right skills and the right champion attitude uh, on its head. Uh, you know, we, we do here, as you said before, you know, there's you hire someone, you train them, you send them into a client engagement. The next thing you find, they, they fall in love with the organization, and the people, and they want to stay there. And then there's always this, always this legal battle of how do you either keep the person, in which case they don't really want to stay there because they, they want to go and do this new exciting thing, or someone's going to buy them out. So I think this is such a significant game changer that you're probably going to change the entire industry of HR in many ways with this, just listening to what you're talking about, because this is exactly what people have been doing, but we've been putting up barriers. The idea that you've stripped away all the barriers, torn down all these uh, walls to, to this innovative approach, I think, is going to be an absolute game changer. And I, I can't wait to see how the world reacts to it because I know it's going to be positive. But I do like the idea that you've got some folk who've gone through the process. And you mentioned, I'd love to just circle back on that. You mentioned you've got a couple of folk who've gone through the process and you've now got uh, clients and, and uh, partners and so forth who are already signed up, uh, you know, I guess, heads of, uh, letters of intent or statements of work to, to take this on board. So am I to understand you've put people through the Vitality Residency in parallel to the AC program. They've been trained, they've been educated, uh, they've come through this process and gone out to do client engagements, gone on site, and now they're at sort of the final stages, I'm guessing, of that journey to now move well, into one no, of these not, organizations. Not, How not, far are we not, down on that? Not quite. Not okay. quite. So, okay. so, so the ASE program has a proven track record, right? And, and obviously, Sai is a, is a shining example of that. The Vitality Residency Program is something that we, we just went live and launched with as we came into Broadcom. Um, what we do have is a few customers that have signed on the dotted line, and we are running a class through side-by-side -side with our ASCs. Actually, right now, as we speak, it's kicking off this quarter. Um, and we actually, knowing that we had um, out of the other dozen that are working with us, that there's about a half a dozen of them that have the contracts going through their procurement department, knowing that, you know, these are going to work out, we've hired in advance. So they're going through it this quarter. And then in about another three months, they'll end up getting deployed and have the experiences at the customers. So we haven't actually graduated a class that's gone through it that got deployed out to the customers. We're doing that now, and we'll we'll learn as we go, right? I mean, the reality is, if you think about some of the customers, whether it be in the, the government or the public sector, they actually can't sign to take somebody on board for free. They, yeah. they actually can't do that, right? So 
the reason we're talking about this publicly now is because we realize that we're coming up these with these ideas from asking the what ifs and we want the customers to join in and ask us these what ifs so we've got customers that have said hey i can't do the free thing but you know maybe i have somebody who's in my organization that wasn't working in the mainframe space we already know they're a fit for our culture for our organization but we'd love to cross train them and have them learn skills in the mainframe and move them over to that area would you be willing to take them on as if they were a vitality residency even though you're not really paying for them free and we're opening up those doors as well so we talk about the what if art of the possible so that folks can start to think along with this and yeah. and you know i said there were four things i was going to talk about it if if you don't mind i'll move to the last one which is about about what we're doing in the education space and there's some new innovations that are coming out of that that again came out of this art of the possible of of what if yeah please do i mean i i do love that vitality i mean we could do a whole show on the vitality residency because i i i I'm blown away by it. I love the idea that's literally turned this whole challenge on its head because when I think about, you know, when we think about the mainframe and a platform and the fact that it's essentially a workhorse, it's doing some of the really big space, those industry groups, those market segments, as you said, they, they can't hire before they've got a project. They can't hire before they've got a, right. an initiative. And they can't afford to have people just sit around. When I think about some of the big moving parts, and there's some big impacts, whether it's banking or wealth management or you know, insurance in the financial sector or you know, aviation, transport, you know, even airline booking and flight management organisations, federal government, state governments, you know, and the list goes on. Retail, manufacturing, medical, defence, transport, telecoms, really big industry groups, as you said. They can't just hire people and sit around doing nothing. But at the same time, they've got to be agile and, and re- respond to needs really quickly. So I think this fills so many gaps. It's one of those things I, th- I would term it as a win-win-win because you get a big win from the process uh, of, of putting people through the, the same program to to be mainframe savvy and, and experts in it. Clients get the benefit of the right people, the right fit, and also you know familiar with the culture. And the humans, which I think is the most important part, as you highlighted, uh, the sentient beings um, who often get forgotten in the HR process. You know, when I think about human capital management, it's probably one of the worst terms I've yep. ever heard because it forgets that, <laughs> what they're managing. <laughs> I love the so, fact that it, look, I'm, I'm, I'm game. Like I told you, you know, one yeah. of the one of the tenants or one of the the founding principles in this idea is that the customer is willing to sign up to to talk about this publicly. So yeah. we can put on that list that you know maybe one of the opportunities here is to have, you know, somebody who does the residency and maybe leadership in their organization to be on talking with Des, right? I'd and, love to. And we'll definitely do that. That's, that's a good, that's, that has to happen. A fabulous, fabulous follow-up. I love it. But you know, just the idea that you've, you've put this whole thing together with the, and you noted it, but I'm going to just highlight it because I think we sort of, we, we glossed over it. But the fact that you've put people at the center of this and you've thought about there's a, a business need, a technical challenge, a, a, an industry requirement to sort of put people through the process, become mainframe specialists and experts and so forth, knowing the client segments. But when you talked about the fact that humans are at the middle of this, that's really exciting for me because we do tend to forget that to fill a job, to drive an outcome, we've got to have humans. And we often treat them like cattle and it drives me insane. I've been in that space myself. And then, you know, you're expected to land on your feet and run the fact that humans are at the middle of this and you're thinking about the journey you're taking them through and where you're putting them and then potentially helping them build their careers is outstanding. And we're going to have a great show on that. Let's circle back to the mainframe education piece that you alluded to a moment ago, because I think this, you know, as, as a sort of closing topic, I'd love to go through that whole challenge of, you know, we think about this, you know, a lot of people talk about legacy platform, but I don't like that term. This long running platform that's been around for decades, 
It has been mm -hmm. the underpinning workhorse for so many things that we take for granted. I mean, I get on a plane almost every other day, and every time I look at the boarding pass, I, I remind myself that's come from a big piece of iron. Um, and yet at the other end of the spectrum, you've got uh, you know, Zoe and other open source projects where uh, this piece of hardware that you're running these amazing systems on has been around for a long time, but it's at the bleeding edge of technology. It's got the most amazing crypto built in. It's got all the open source technologies built in. Uh, it is effectively a cloud platform now. It runs things like Spark and Hadoop natively and you name it. It's one of the biggest Linux boxes on the planet. Um, we've now got this point where the younger generations are looking at it as a platform to learn from. Give us some insight into what's happening around your, your world, around that whole mainframe education piece. What, what is happening with people entering this space and what's Broadcom doing to sort of drive and fuel that? Yeah, I think there's I think there's two things in this this space. There's kind of the the traditional education of what you can do, um, and a lot of that is out there web based. And then there's also the the idea around uh, conferences and user groups. So so let me talk a little bit about kind of the web based. There were a lot of training materials that we had in CA that were web web based training, and the reality is prior to the acquisition, the education. Uh, unit actually sat outside the division and it had its own PNL, right? And it, and it was across distributed, it was across mainframe. And that really, really could drive you across purposes because what you really want is the people that are using your products to have themselves availed to as much education as possible. You want them to be successful with the product. So when we brought this all together with Broadcom and it came directly into the, the division, we kind of said, well, what if, what, what if we could just make this available to our customers? And, uh, you know, look, there's, there's certain things like instructor-led training or like our mainframe e-learning library that, you know, provides more than 250 IBM Z systems, web-based trainings. Some of those things actually involve third parties or royalties or fees. And, and those, I, I can't exactly make those free. But what I can do is say, well, look, I'm not trying to make money off of this. Let me let me pass those at my cost to my customers and make them make them available. But but this other stuff, the product web-based training, we kind of said, well, wow, you know, that's not really costing me anything to do. It's already out there on the web. Um, people can use it as self-service. What if we just said, hey, look, if you have an active support and service contract contract. We're going to make this available to you for free. And, and the answer to that what if question was, heck yeah, let's do it. So with the stroke of the pen about three or four months ago, that's exactly what we did. The web race training where we don't have any royalties or third parties involved and there's, there's no live needed, we made it free. And in the last three months, we've seen uh, a 20% uptick in that training from our customers. And, and absolutely, that is exactly what you want to have happening. You want people to become more proficient with the products and to have easy and, and frictionless access to that training. So really cool coming out of the idea, what if? But the other way that a lot of people are, are learning, and you heard Sai even talk about the, the valuable experience, you know, both from a technological, but interacting with people and, and, and our own career progression and personal development, the valuable experience she's getting out of share, right? So we are actively pursuing expanding our presence at a lot of different 
third-party user conferences. You know, Share Phoenix, we we had 26 education sessions. We had four sessions on Zoe. I dug Charlotte, which we just came back from, and I, I and I know you you guys saw you talking about it a lot on LinkedIn mm. and out on the web. We had 14 sessions there, nine education, uh, some Zoe sessions, some vendor sessions. Um, we will have a significant presence at Share in Pittsburgh. That's upcoming in early August, and we're a platinum sponsor there. Um, we're working with OMP, the Open Mainframe Project, for uh, for their Open Software Summit in August, and we'll be participating there. We're we're also expanding this to non-traditional, you know, not traditionally mainframe events, but more kind of just the IT ecosystem. So the upcoming DevOps Enterprise Summit in October in Vegas, we're planning to be there. And we're also looking at expanding our involvement with, with IBM's own Z Technical University. We were we were there at the most recent event, and I think there's going to be more exciting stuff to come there. So, you know, we've got a lot coming up, both in terms of kind of mainframe traditional events, um, larger ecosystem, broader IT stuff, our own initiatives, the, the world innovation tour we're doing which is really targeted at getting to the leadership and the executive community to make them aware of the types of things we're doing. We want customers to take advantage of these things that we're doing because we think that drives more value overall, right? That everything we're doing with all of these investments is geared towards the idea of driving greater value to our customers and expanding and making it easier for people to take advantage of what's available out there in the in the mainframe world. So a lot of cool things going on. Yeah, I, I, it reminds me of the fact that we're at a point now we're in 2019 that uh, the bulk of people out there are learning themselves. They're, they're self-educated, self-driven. It's the YouTube model where people are learning to play the guitar through to hacking uh, uh, Java uh, modules and plugins for Minecraft uh, through or to... Or tuning in and listening to talking with Des Blanchfield. Right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, too kind. <laughs> but, yeah, I love that you've approached this from that point of view, and I'm sure someone sat down and thought of that. So, you know, uh, and, and, and I'd love to get cited to sort of comment and with a bit of advice and, and some uh, uh, thought and advice to people joining this whole thing in a moment. But, um, you know, I think we forgot that humans do teach themselves you know Sai taught herself uh, basics she taught herself to pull pcs apart and so forth and as she mentioned uh, as did i and i know you greg did a bunch of that when you were younger but uh, you know we've got this generation now where you know everyone's got a screen in their hand they are watching youtube videos as you said they're listening to podcasts and thanks to the shout out there um and i think the trick now is to to empower people to do that and i think you've you've absolutely embraced that which is exciting uh, because people are willing to invest in themselves and that's that really i think providing this capability to do exactly that, to invest themselves, do self-driven uh, training and then come back to the relevant mentors and, and so forth to, to go to the next level exciting. But also I see another space in this and that is that it isn't necessarily just the new entrance. I can imagine that there's this cyclic process where somebody might have done you know, a couple of skills and whether they've gone through engineering or development or design and then decided they're going to just spend their own lunch times going back and just sharpen the, the pencil a bit and then you know, find a new space and, and build their career uh, so I think this is this is going to be an, a, a Cambrian explosion of new capabilities that we're seeing come in the market once you've got this thing really re-humming. Uh, Greg, I'm going to get you to do in a minute a bit of a, a wrap-up with a bit of a future gazing uh, into my virtual crystal wall. Before we do that, I'd love to just get some final uh, comments from Sai. 
Um, so if you were going to offer any advice, any thoughts to folk who have tuned in and listened to it and become enthused by hearing your story and getting excited about this whole ASE program and the Vitality res- Residency capability that is coming out of uh, Broadcom's mainframe engineering uh, education programs, uh, what would that advice be? If you're getting a couple of minutes of advice, how, how would you inspire people to follow your path, follow your footsteps, um, you know, glean some insights from what you've had there? And if I was just sitting there thinking, I, I think this is exciting, I just don't know where to start and, and what to do, what advice could you offer folk who are tuning in to sort of, you know what, I'm just going to jump in this and give it a go? Yep. Uh, so I was there, scared of the big iron because I was not aware. But uh, the more awareness that uh, you you are, I mean, the more aware you are of uh, the things uh, that are going on. And uh, conferences like Share, uh, personally, I'm a big uh, proponent of that. I mean, conferences like Share and uh, knowing the endless possibilities that mainframe would present. Um, that is uh, how you could start thinking about it. I mean, there are courses out there. And uh, talking to, like personally, as uh, people in the industry, I would suggest we go out and have uh, conversations at schools. I mean, there are meetings like ACM meetings that we could start uh, having uh, conversations with the students and engaging them and showing them the possibilities because I've never considered myself as a mainframe developer. I mean, because it's just because I was mainframe, I mean, System Z is, uh, I mean, it has all the capabilities that is provided elsewhere, right? It has mainframe, it has Java, um, machine learning, Java, everything that you could do elsewhere. I mean, we wrote Python on that is run on the mainframe for our, some of our products. So, I mean, just consider yourself as a developer. I mean, that's the general platform agnostic term we would all want to get to, right? And then you work in multiple technologies and seamlessly integrate them on the mainframe. So there is no concept of mainframe developer or slash uh, a normal, I mean, uh, distributed developer. So that's where I would start off with. That's the awareness we would like. We would want to strive to create, and I think Broadcom is doing a lot of things to get to that point where we create that awareness, show the endless possibilities mainframe has to present, and how every individual can make a difference. No, I love it. I um, uh, I, I I would say that just believe in yourself, right? Just uh, you know, I think a lot of people get nervous that uh, they don't want to disrupt their life, they don't want to disrupt their career path, and they don't want to rock the boat and fall out and potentially then have to start again. But I, I think you know, listening to your amazing life story and the last decade you've had, uh, and congratulations again on that amazing career path. Uh, what I'm Thank hearing you. is that just jump in and give it a go. Believe in yourself and and just take that first step because I think. If anything, I'm, I'm incredibly inspired by what you've done personally in your, your life and traveling across the planet and jumping into this and giving it a go. And then look at where you're at now. Uh, I just, uh, I'm, I'm just so impressed with what you've achieved with this. And I, I think congratulations to Broadcom making this possible. Uh, Greg, if you were to um, give us a bit of a wrap up on kind of where we're going to be in the next three to five years with all of this in mind. I mean, this is an exciting shift you've uh, driven and brought about. It's a great initiative through not just the AC program that, as you said, has been a long time success, but the new uh, vitality residency that you gave us an overview on. When we think about the whole challenge of, of continuing education and continually developing skills in this mainframe space, not just inside Broadcom, but broadly as an industry and, and across all of the segments that use these big platforms, um, where are we going to be in the next three to five years? If you're going to gaze into a virtual crystal ball, uh, I'd love to get your insights because you're literally at the bleeding edge of this. You are talking to people every day out on the street. Some of the biggest brands and names in the world uh, depend on and yourself and your team and your organization. 
What's your general sense of, of where we're going to be in three to five years? So, uh, you know, I'm sure you've got a million things you can share on that, but just give us some highlights on where you believe we'll be in three to five years in this whole space of what's happening with the education space in the mainframe. Yeah, I think I think we can learn about the future by by looking at the past, and and I actually believe the future is now, right? So, so think about it. Probably what 25 years ago, everybody said, "My God, the mainframe is going to be dead in three to five years," right? I mean, the last mainframes will be shut down, right? And then they said that 20 years ago, 15 years ago, 10 years ago, and clearly that hasn't happened. Uh, yeah, there, there, there may be some customers that have migrated off, and and I, I think that really has uh, less to do with any any deficiency with the mainframe. It really is is more to do with the idea of whether or not those workloads were best suited to be on mainframe. So some stuff is going to migrate off, but there's a lot of things that, uh, from a throughput or resiliency, uh, an I/O intensive workload, that they absolutely make sense being on the mainframe. So just like people who say, oh, my God, it's hard to learn the mainframe. There's absolutely facts and data points around us of people that, you know, 25, 30 years ago didn't know anything about mainframe after it had already been around for 20 years, and they managed to do it, right? Um, I'm, I'm certainly one of those people, right? When I started, I'd only had, had one class in university that had anything to do with the mainframe, and and I spent my first 10 years in programming on the mainframe space, and and that hasn't changed. People haven't gotten any any dumber. Um, I I don't know that they've necessarily gotten smarter, but in general, they they've found the ability to be able to absorb more information faster and build on the excess the successes of others for sure. And you know, there's proof points, right? Uh, a decade or more of of doing this ASE program showing that we can have successful graduates working with in our own team. And some of those have gone on to work at some of our customers around the world just from their own natural career progression or desire of where they wanted to be in the world. So opening that up to customers and believing that there can be success, I think, is is absolutely natural. Um, you know, it's only been a few months since we opened up our online web-based training. And already, I mean, without having the word broadly out there to see a 20% increase in uptake is uh, is absolutely significant. So I think there'll always be a certain amount of naysayers, right? I mean, uh, Ford fans tend not to like Chevy. Chevy fans tend not to like Ford. But we all know there's there's jewels in each, and, and uh, they work for different people and, and different scenarios. Um, I think the platform is going to be not only alive but thriving uh, for many years to come. And I think uh, those who depend on the platform and want to be successful with it will have their awareness raised that you can train people to work on this platform successfully, and there's multiple routes. Um, I hope that opens eyes in companies so that they don't always think they got to have somebody else fund it to start it. Um, but if that's the case that we continue to do it, um, I'm fine with that too. I think it's the right thing for the, the ecosystem and ends up being a win-win all around. But I think we're removing some of those barriers from the naysayers that want to say this can't be done this way or that way because of this. Well, let's address the barriers. Let's approach the people aspect of it and make it uh, more easily uh, available or readily available for people to access the education, to train, to go into organizations and be successful. So um, I already see 
that we're having success and and I hope we're back on you know talking with Des Blanchfield with with uh, you know at least one of our customers and some of their leadership and we'll use it as an exemplar to to show others that this can be done. This isn't saying that this is the only way to do it, right? Hopefully we provoke others to have other ideas how they can go about it. But uh, but we're all people. We can all learn. And, and it's a great technology, and I think we can, can help it be successful for many, many years to come. Love it. Fantastic note to wrap up on. And uh, for folk who tuned in and have had these amazing insights from both Sai and Greg, uh, there's a whole section on the CA website under careers um, uh, where there's some great resources. In fact, there's a, a big headline, Start Your Career at CA, but there's also some details around the ASC program on the bottom right uh, of the screen from memory. Uh, that gives you a, a bit more detail about what's going on. But just search for the term and you'll find some references on that. Uh, Sai and Greg, it's been an absolute pleasure to catch up with you both. Thank you so much for making time to uh, join me on the show. And Sai, again, congratulations on going through the program and your amazing career path. And uh, I'm absolutely inspired that you started out writing BASIC. Thanks. And Greg, it's been great yeah, to catch up with you again. I, um, I, I love what you're doing with this whole thing. I, the Vitality uh, program, we, we definitely need to show on that. That would be great fun. And I would love to definitely take you up on that uh, invitation you just threw out there with regard to getting a client on and have a talk through their story as well. And I hope you both have a fantastic afternoon and uh, look forward to both having you on the show again soon. And I really appreciate the time that you've made today to catch up with me and the amazing insights you've shared. You as well. Thanks a lot, Des. Thanks, Sai, And thanks for everybody who's tuned in to listen with us.